0: welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights Podcast Series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to Take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and on the topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew.
1: Hello, Alison.
0: Matthew, I wanted to grill you today a little bit on two of the major economies, the the US and China. But I just think it's a really interesting dichotomy that we have between US and China at the moment. We've got the US, which is seemingly defying all expectations about recession fears and hard landings. On the other hand, we've had China, it's slipping in forecasters' expectations and growth is really slowing. So we've got these two economies seemingly heading in completely opposite directions. And from an Australian perspective, that has competing forces on us as well. Of course, we're influenced both by the rising US interest rates um, and China's certainly having a, an impact on our currency, driving our currency below US 65 cents. So a lot to talk about across those two economies. So I thought we might try something a little bit different that maybe if we could talk about the US today and if we could mm-hmm. follow up talking about China next week so if that's okay I'll play ahead head with the US so why is growth stronger than expected you know it's really quite a change from where people were and it's been having a big impact on financial markets as well so perhaps we should start with growth where's the strength been and why?
1: Yeah, well, um, you're dead right. It's been a remarkable turnaround in expectations about that economy. In fact, knowing that you were going to focus in on the US today, actually, I look back <laughs> to see where our consensus forecasts, as well, our own forecasts were at the start of the year for the US economy. And guess what? Back in January, general consensus forecasters was that the US economy GDP would grow by just 0.3% this year. That's like almost flat, no growth. And certainly, they were forecasting a recession. In fact, even now, most forecasters are still forecasting a very mild recession. Now, we have passed forward to where we are today, and we just got the latest consensus numbers out a couple of weeks ago. That expectation for 2023 GDP growth is at 2%. That's above trend. You know, a remarkable turnaround. Now, where's the outperformance been, to get to the heart of your question? Well, it looks like it's pretty much across the board of the whole US economy. So if we look back at expectations at the various sectors that people are holding at the start of the year to what the actual performance is and where it looks like it's heading now, you can look at consumer spending, you can look at business investment, you can look at industrial production, auto production, the housing market, the labour market, international (laughs) trade, the list goes on, Alison. They've all been stronger than predicted. But if I had to slate The upside surprise to the growth story in the US to a single factor, I would pin it still on the strength of the consumer. And it's that which I believe has driven that US economy. You've got to remember, Alison, consumer in the US is the driver of the US economy. It represents about 70% of that economy. So when you've got a strong consumer, it has a multiplier, a ripple through effect into other sectors of the economy, as well as the labour market. And that sort of creates this virtuous circle where a strong consumer creates higher demand that induces a supply response from producers that it leads to higher employment that leads to higher incomes and you're back again to higher demand so that's uh, my short version of what's been happening in the US economy.
0: Oh, it's sounding like a, a, yeah, a very virtuous circle indeed but mm-hmm. to question you on that can I continue indefinitely so one of the responses we've been seeing to the resilience in the economy is higher interest rates and potentially even further higher interest rates from here. The irony of having a good economy is that the Fed might have to keep going. So... Since that point, we've seen treasuries back up almost a full percentage point. It's been a real shift in the fixed interest market. So surely at some point that's got to affect the economy and affect a slowdown. Or does that mean that you think monetary policy is perhaps less effective?
1: No, no, I don't buy into this idea that monetary policy is now ineffective. And in fact, you're right. I should say that to flag really that the higher interest rates, they will eventually take effect.
0: I think that's right. It has to at some stage, but it has been tightening for over a year now. So what do you think is going to take the heat out of the economy, given we have been tightening rates for a while?
1: Yeah, well, that's the the question, isn't it? So, you know, like I've been saying and other economists are saying these higher interest rates must eventually slow the economy down, but, you know, it hasn't up to now. So question's actually, you know, fair enough. And Until recently, I think there's a couple of issues that that have also been working behind the scenes to drive strong growth in the strong consumer. Firstly, the post-COVID rebound that we saw in the US in particular which started really in the middle of last year, has has been a global phenomenon. The recovery in, in global manufacturing that happened when economies came out of COVID lockdowns, that was transmitted internationally or through the global economy through trade. So an important in driving growth throughout the second half of 2022 and the first half of this year, that reopening of the economies, that's now starting to come to an end and we see global trade starting to back off and drop off. But perhaps more importantly than that, again, going back to the household sector, is that the US households, like in Australia, had built up uh, a very high level of savings during the COVID lockdowns, which they've been running down over the second half of last year and the first half of this year. The thing about the US, differently to Australia, where we're Households still got a high level of savings or accumulated savings in the US, those savings now have been basically exhausted. And you're Mm -hmm. getting back to a level now that it's going to be hard for them, the uh, US household, to continue to run down savings and at the same time meet their debt obligations, which means that at this point, we're now at a juncture where it looks like the US consumer must have to start curtailing spending. Now, you combine that with the tightening of bank lending standards in the Wake of the recent crisis that we've seen over there in the banking sector, and you have a household sector now under far greater pressure to restrain spending than you have seen in the last two years. You're listening
0: to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, I might shift towards markets now if I can. Just as economist forecasts are somewhat capitulating and the recession narrative is being ditched, equity markets look to be under pressure. So it's a bit of an oxymoron to some respects that maybe good economics news seems to be bad for markets. Uh, Markets losing 5% in the first two weeks of August. And that obviously has a relationship with what we were talking about before, with what we're seeing in the bond market. So if the US economies hold up, you can see the potential where US equities could hold up notwithstanding stretched valuations. But we've also got it alongside of that, the tech story, the AI boom and, and NVIDIA blowing mm. the street sales forecast out of the water again has driven the NASDAQ and the S&P higher. So lots of competing forces. Has that or has it adjusted your view on equities?
1: I still think, Alison, US equities are overvalued.
0: Good to have conviction. I like it. <laughs> so what's the catalyst for correction then?
1: Well, I think one of two things, and you alluded to both of them, either we'll see uh, economic growth slow, we'll see that slowdown that we've been predicting, even if the US economy doesn't go into recession. It looks like the growth slowdown will be quite sharp. They will see the economy running below trend for a couple of quarters. It looks pretty much on the cards. But as that happens, we would expect the corporate earnings expectations to take a hit. Or, on the other hand, if we don't get that growth outlook, that slowing growth outlook, I should say, and the economy remains strong, we'll see, as you said, interest rates continue to rise. In particular, we'll see real yields continue to go up. Now, in the case of slowing growth, that excessive optimism over uh, corporate earnings growth, which, just to remind everyone, it's still running at a forward 12-month forward expectation about where corporate earnings are going. It's, it's around 8%. That's really quite high, given where earnings have been tracking in an economy that is slowing to below trend. And if that is the case, uh, I think you'll see those expectations fading, and that'll be a catalyst for re-rating of equities. Now, if, on the other hand, as I said, the growth outlook remains strong, then real yields are most likely to push higher. They'll probably go through 2% in the US. And as Mm -hmm. we saw in markets from about the end of July up until this week, those rising real yields that we saw, which actually hit, 2% just a few days ago. That lifts the discount rate and really undermines equity valuation. So either way, I feel that the US equities will still come under pressure over coming months.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. I mean, look, it's obviously those earnings expectations are very high with real yields moving up the way they have been. It does create a bit of a dilemma for the markets in terms of are they just priced for too much at this point? But I guess we'll, we'll see how it goes. But Drilling in a little bit more into those tech stocks, don't really want to let that one go because it is such an interesting thing. They're called the, the Magnificent Seven or, or various other names, all of these big AI type tech stocks. Do you think that sort of the types of earnings and the, and the valuations that those stocks trade on, and given they're such a large part of the market, could see a structural lift to the index price level?
1: Well, I mean, that's the $50 or the $64 question, I should say, and it's certainly been the case over this year that it's been those tech stocks largely responsible for the lift in the uh, equity market. You know, if you look back, the S&P 500s was up to its high point, it was up 20% over the year, and the NASDAQ, you know, which as you know, is rich in those heavy tech stocks. that's so up 40%. And if you look at NVIDIA, it's up around about 200% over the year. <laughs> so really, it could be the case, right, that you have these new businesses coming on board and that their potential for garnering significant earnings over the future justifies a higher price. At the moment, you know, those earnings even though Nvidia's just released strong earnings outlooks, but really the price earnings multiples they're trading on are really reflective of a future earnings stream, hopefully mm-hmm. rather than current earnings. If that eventuates, then yes, we'll see a break higher in in stock prices. But I just r- remind, I, well, I remind myself, I should say that that you know when I first started in this industry, it was right around about 2000, just on the peak of the tech bubble, if you remember. I do. Um, No, I think you're too young to remember that Very kind of But I remember it. And I remember one of first books that I read at that point was called The Dow Jones at 36,000. So what it was saying is that the authors of that book thought that The Dow Jones back then price level was justified at 36,000. It's currently trading at around about 12. And it was on the basis that the internet stocks at the time would, in fact, undergo this this metamorphosis where they would have these super high earnings and it would justify a Dow Jones at 36,000. The Dow Jones currently is trading at 34,000. So after a quarter of a century, Dow Jones still hasn't even made it to where those authors back then were thinking it was going to lead to. And what happens, I think, is that every time there's a new tech craze, like AI being the latest, even though it's true that AI has the potential to really force strong productivity growth, I think we tend to extrapolate the earnings growth of that all encompass way too strongly than what the actual reality turns out to be. So I do expect you know, some of those stocks to come back to more justifiable valuations in the future.
0: Yeah, really interesting concept, all this discussion about AI. And look, there's been the, the various waves of technology, whether it's, you know, personal computers, whether it's internet and certainly now with AI. And, you know, look, you do often see those waves of exuberance in terms of, I guess, expectations, but it, it can be hard to work out who the winners and losers are very early in this stage. So it's something that we're certainly monitoring with interest and no doubt it's going to be revolutionary, but sometimes the adoption does take a little while and to work out where those real productivity gains and where are all, you know, economic winners are from those types of uh, evolutions, but nonetheless, clearly an important area to watch. Matthew, thank you for chatting to me today and chatting about the US and looking forward to chatting next week about China. And thanks to our listeners for taking time.